It's been really exciting to, uh, during the holidays to be able to go through the Psalms as we've just broken away from the book of Luke and we'll be returning to our studies in Luke as soon as the schools start again and so I look forward to that series but for today we're going to look at another Psalm and that is Psalm 33 so I'd ask you to turn with me to Psalm 33 and let's see what God has to say to you and I. Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to Him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright and all His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom He has chosen as His heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. And the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us as we hope in you. Simple message today, isn't it? What should characterize your life and mine? If people had to say, what's that person like? Give me just a short phrase. What would it be? Grumpy? Impatient? Always helpful? Bubbling over with laughter? What should it be? It should be what this psalm describes to us. Always giving praise to God. Always. That should be the characteristic which marks God's people. But the problem is it doesn't always, does it? Ask my wife. The psalmist this morning calls us to worship the Lord. And he tells us how to do that. And then he gives us the reasons why 
we should always be marked as worshipping the Lord. So let's look at those. The call to worship, verses 1 to 3. And I want you to have this finger, which is a useful tool, by the way, this finger and your Bible, because you're going to need it this morning. I'm going to go through it slowly. So you need this one. Follow with me. Verses 1 to 3, he says, Shout for joy in the Lord. Take note of those words. O you righteous, praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him, and then he lists those instruments. So, what does he say to us? What's the first command there? It's shout for joy. Now, we've just sung two songs. Were you shouting for joy? Or were you mumbling with ecstasy? You see, there's a lot of mumbling sometimes that happens. But the Lord commands us that when we come before Him, we have to shout with joy. And we have to shout with joy, what? In Him. Oh, you righteous. So are you saved by God's, by Jesus' blood? Are you a righteous one? Then here's your command, shout for joy in the Lord. Thank you very much, Alex. Shout for joy. You see, that, that should be our mindset all the time. Who must shout for joy? Those who are righteous, those who are upright, those who are in the Lord. The second thing is, he tells us how to do that. We have to use voices and instruments. Now, that, there are those who say, oh, we shouldn't use instruments, it should be voices only. Well, this verse says differently. There are those who just use instruments and you can hardly hear anyone singing because the musicians are having a great time, but no one else is. So there's the other extreme again. The Bible says to us we are to worship the Lord by shouting His praises loudly, using our voices, giving glory to God, and then using instruments as well. And so, yes, if you play the piano, you can play it Worshipping the Lord. You can worship the Lord on your guitar. If you are worshipping the Lord from where? From your heart. That's the secret, you see. So whether we use our voices, whether we use these instruments, these beautiful instruments, we have to use them worshipping the Lord from our hearts. He says we have to sing a new song unto the Lord. So does that mean every time we come up here, we'd better have composed something new? No. You can sing an old hymn in a new way. You can sing a new song in a very old way. What does it again depend on? Your heart, you see. You can sing an old hymn with fresh praise to the Lord because you value the truth that is in that hymn. And you sing to the Lord a new song. You can take a brand new song and Sing it in such a way that God is not glorified. Because all you're doing is into that catchy tune. You haven't even bothered with the words and it's not from the heart. So we have to sing to the Lord a new song to Him every day. Every time we come in and we worship Him. It's to be from our hearts. We have to play our instruments skillfully unto the Lord. So second best won't do. Skillfully to the Lord. And then we have to give him loud shouts of praise. So, what's the mood, the general mood of this and the tone of this psalm as we start these first three verses? 
It's fairly boisterous and uplifting, isn't it? And that's how we are to be before the Lord. And then verses 4 to 5, if you look at them with me, the psalmist gives us two reasons why we are to shout to the Lord for joy. And it's these. Verse 4, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all His work is done in faithfulness. You see, we are to worship the Lord with a new song from our hearts, because His word is upright. His work is faithful in our lives. And it's proved that over history. You see, His word and His work are always linked. They always go together. Where the word of the Lord is, His work is. Where His work is, His word is. You can't separate the two from each other. And they are the collective that form who God is to us as human beings. He expands on that. The word of the Lord is upright. Verse 5. His, he loves righteousness and justice. You see, that describes God's word. It is right. It is righteous. And it is upright. And it stands for justice. Very opposite to us sometimes. We can be very hypocritical. We can be very inconsistent. We can be even blatantly dishonest at times. Very opposite to who God is through His Word. And His work, His work is done in faithfulness. Verse 5 expands again on that. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. So the Lord is faithful and His faithfulness is shown in His steadfast love to you and I. His work to us is always faithful and filled with His love. And that is why we are to worship the Lord. And then what the psalmist does is, in verses 4 to 9 and through the rest, he takes an example of creation and how God acts towards His creation. And he gives us even more reason why we are to worship the Lord with great shouts of joy. And so why praise God while He created everything? Verses 4 to 9. Follow in your text with me. How did God create? Verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heaven was made, and by the breath of His mouth, all their host. So you might have heard other things at school, teenagers. How did God create? Through the word of His mouth. He spoke, and things came into being. He spoke, and out of nothing, things appeared. It was the breath of His mouth. He commanded. And the word used theologically here is, it's with a fiat creation. Now it's got nothing to do with cards. Alright? Fiat creation means naked word creation. That's all it was. God spoke and something happened. There was nothing and then there was everything after God had spoken. In our modern day world, we've got apps, don't we, on your smartphone. Now, those of you who don't have smartphones, just you know, bear with me now. If you've got a smartphone, you've got apps on your smartphone, applications, right? What is an application, an app? It's just a little program that's set there so that if you press a button or say something, something else happens. That's usually quite useful, not always. And so, we've got these spoken command apps. The one is you can just speak dial or phone and then it'll, you can say dial Peter and then it'll go through your voice, your commands and it'll find Peter and it'll phone that person. Quite clever actually when you're driving. 
And then you can get another one which says find. And that's on Google. You can go there and um, you're on your search engine and you can say find whatever you're looking for and it will be activated by your voice. You can say type something. And that's quite handy for those of us who are a little not so dexterous with the fingers. I can type my text messages now by speaking them. And then send. And then search. But what are those little apps? They are little pre-programmed programs that are there that, so when I speak, something happens, but it's all been set up before the time, alright? Now that's not the way it worked with God. Imagine if you were walking in the road and you said something and something happened. And you weren't planning that. You said, new car, and suddenly a new car appeared in front of you. You weren't planning on it, but it's nice. You'd be very surprised, wouldn't you? Well, the thing is, that's the way it worked with God. And he wasn't surprised. He spoke the word and something happened. He hadn't pre-planned that when I do this, then this is going to happen. He spoke because he is God and all-powerful. And he knows that when he speaks, things do happen. And so he spoke the world into existence. He spoke the mountain ranges into existence. And I know some of you have been in the South Island this past holiday. Those beautiful big mountain ranges, God spoke, they appeared. The stars, the moons around the galaxies, the galaxies themselves, the, the, the creatures on earth, and yes, even you, God spoke and mankind appeared. You see, that's the type of God He is. He's an all-powerful God and His Word has effect. He speaks and it happens. And that's what the psalmist says here. And therefore, we should have a suitable response. You see, this is Almighty God. What should our response be? Not just as Christians, by the way, but as unbelievers too. Everyone should have this response, says the psalmist, verse 8. All the earth should what? Fear. All the inhabitants should what? Stand in awe. Why? Because this one, before who you appear, is Almighty God. And how we fall short of that as mankind, don't we? He's the old guy upstairs. We don't even pay attention to this almighty God, even though His creation surrounds us. Well, you see, one day there's going to be no excuse for anyone who appears before God and says, I didn't know you existed, God. He will say, I surrounded you by my creation. And my creation speaks about me. How can you not know me? You too were supposed to give me praise. And all, says the psalmist. And so, as Christians sitting here, and most of you would be Christians, but some here wouldn't be, you need to stop and consider. Don't just take for granted what you see around you every day. God has created, God is speaking out about Himself, and you need to stop and give Him all. You need to give Him the fear of the Lord, which is reverence. You need to say, you are God, and I am a minute human being. That should be our response. We should marvel. We should shout for joy if we are believers because of what God has created. Yes? The second reason why we are to praise, and he gives that in verses 10 to 22, he says because God rules and governs his creation. You see, some would say, okay, okay, God created the world, but then he kind of left it. And it's like a clock, you wind it up and it just unwinds, and one day it will just stop. Hands off. Well, God's not like that, you see. 
God created and then he rules over the earth. His creation. He governs it. Old Testament terms, he rules and governs. New Testament, he's sovereign. The sovereignty of God. The God who is in control of everything. And then he gives specific examples. Verse 10, look at it there. Psalm 33 verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. Is God just being a Grinch? No. What's being shown here is that man's plans without God, as we've seen previously, are nothing. God brings them to nothing if they don't honor Him. And in stark contrast to that, the plans of the Lord are everlasting. They stand again. You see, man forgets that too. Don't you do that? We forget about God when we make our little plans. And we say, we're going to do this, 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 this. I'm going to go there in the holidays. God doesn't even feature in that. And outside of Christianity, the world out there, they don't even give God a fig. Not Not a little bit of time in the day. They don't even give it a second thought. Nations plan things, but God doesn't feature anywhere. But God says here, the truth is that He brings man's plans to nothing. But in stark contrast, the plans of God are enduring. They stand forever. And which leads up to the following statement, verse 12. Which is the blessed nation? The nation whose God is God. The ones who serve the Lord, not just by what they say, in God we trust or in our case in Wanganui, without God, nothing. The ones who not just say that, but actually live it out in practice as well. Those are the ones that God honours. Which is the blessed nation? The nation whose God is Jehovah. Now in the Old Testament, God chose the nation of Israel, and He honoured them, and He took them through all kinds of journeys, because He was showing God's grace at work in people. They were an example for us to see. But when Jesus Christ came, what did He do? He brought about the church, which is all those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same now goes for us. We are chosen of God. If you're a Christian here today, God has chosen you for Himself. You are one of His own, the church. You are His chosen people. And therefore, if He is your God, then you are blessed too. Unfortunately, this nation of ours has turned their backs on Almighty God. And you only have to see it in the laws we bring out, in the attitude of politicians to Christianity. Who is the blessed people? Those who honour the Lord. Verse 13 to 15 gives us a bit of a heavenly perspective. It says here, who is God? You see, as human beings, we need to remember who God is, but we don't. Who is God? Well, there He is. Verses 13 to 15. Where is God, firstly? The Lord looks down from heaven. He's exalted. He looks down from heaven and He sees all these little wee mites called the children of man. And from where He sits enthroned, He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. You see, God's got a heavenly perspective on us and our goings on every day. He can see what is happening to every single one of us. 
is enthroned in heaven. And that verse carries on. He fashions their hearts. He observes their deeds. You see, nothing we can do can escape the gaze of God. Because from heaven he can see our hearts. And he can see the hearts of Christians and non-Christians. He knows us by heart. He is God. We are the finite ones. He looks down from heaven. You see, we forget who he is. And therefore, the next statement makes even more sense. What is human power then? Verses 16 to 17. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. You see, on earth, in the Old Testament times, the king who had the greatest army and the most brave army was the winner. Those of you who played risk before, very much the same. And he says here, no, it's not the king and his army that is mighty. That's futile. The warrior, that trained warrior with two swords here that he can pull out at the same time. Not even that guy is the one who is most powerful, even though he might think so. The war horse. Now, in the old days, they used to have war horses. Now we've got, I don't know, F-35s and all kinds of aircraft that can send things without even looking at them. And the thing is, nations depend on these things for their safety. And they've stepped away from depending on the Lord. What is the biggest budget most nations have? Military budgets. Why? Because that is what they're looking up to, to defend themselves. God says, what is human power? What is the almighty dollar when compared to me, says the Lord? What is the intelligence agency that is so quick to pick up on terrorist movements? What is that compared to what I know, says the Lord? I am almighty. And so he says, walk away from your false hope. You see, we are so quick as human beings to put our hope in these externals. Whereas God says, put your hope in me. And that leads on to verses 18 and 19. Verses 18 says this, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who, what? Fear Him. Now, when it says the eye of the Lord is on them, it's a very specific phrase. It's not just He looks and He sees those who fear Him. The phrase He's using here is, the eye of the Lord is on them. It's a directed attention. The Lord is noticing those who fear Him. He's paying them specific attention. Those are the ones who God pours His mercy down on. It's those who fear Him. Tell me, are you one of those this morning? Do you fear the Lord from your heart? Because if you do, the Lord has His eye on you. And His mercy is right behind them. His steadfast love is right behind them. And He pours it out on you if you fear Him if you show holy reverence to the Lord. So why trust in God, says verse 18 and 19? Because His eye is on you. His directed attention is to you. Those who fear Him, those who have reverence for Him, those who hope in His steadfast love. Again, he's speaking about a heart attitude, isn't he? If your heart is right before the Lord, then He will show His mercy to you. He will deliver you from death, says these verses. He will keep you alive during famine. He's speaking about the spiritual and the physical. 
So what can escape the Lord? He will deliver you from death. Now, is that physical death? No. He's speaking about everlasting death. If you put your trust in the Lord, He will deliver you from everlasting death. Why? Because through Jesus Christ, He gives you everlasting life. And even though you go through famine, and don't believe those who say, if you become a Christian, then God solves all your problems, you'll be rich forever. It's actually the opposite. God allows us to go through times of famine. But who is there in the famine with us? God is. He he delivers us during that famine. He keeps us alive, says the psalmist. And he covers spiritual and physical. David says it like this. Psalm 12, Psalm 121, verse 1 to 3. And you can probably know these words. I lift my eyes to the hills. Now in those days, you didn't have cruise missiles to hide behind. You ran to the hills because you could hide in the rocks. So David says, I lift my eyes to the hills, my usual place of safety. From where does my help come? Not from those hills. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Isn't that an amazing verse which comforts us today? He is creator and ruler. And that is why we can sing praises to Him. And that is why we can trust God. And so if you're an unbeliever here today, I want to challenge you with this. Why must you trust God? Because God made you. Where else would you go but to your creator? Who else will help you? And if you're a believer here today, why should you trust God? Well, He's got a specific and stated purpose for every single one of us. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me. So turn with me please, New Testament, Romans chapter 8. Turn with me if you would to Romans chapter 8. And you should know this one off by heart too. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. And I want you to take courage from this. If you're a Christian here today, sorry, if you're a Christian here today, it doesn't matter what you're going through. Look at these verses and take courage from it. Romans chapter 8 verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called or the called according to His purpose. So is there a plan behind all this? Yes. Is there a plan behind what you're going through? Yes. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God knew before all time existed that what he would do in and through you. And he knew that he would one day rescue you from your sin and that he would slowly start to change you to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. God knew that. And so whatever you are going through now, it is part of that plan of God changing you to be like His own Son. Why? In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. 
And so one day, will you arrive in heaven safely? Yes, you will. It doesn't matter what you're going through now. Because God has promised His Word and His work are always together. He will bring you through. And He, in the end, will bring you to Himself. That's amazing. And so why do we praise the Lord with great shouts? Because of truth flux. It's not just because we feel good. So now because I'm feeling good, I can sing songs. And when I'm not feeling so good, then I'll just do those silent mumblings. No, we praise God because of things outside of us, external to us. It's because of Him. And He is our unchanging God. And so therefore, verses 20 to 22 end with hope in the Lord. Put your hope in the Lord. What is there in you which is looming larger than God? Sickness? Financial trouble? How am I going to get through a new school? All those big kids there. Uni? My studies? Are those things really looming larger in my mind than what God is Himself? You see, how should we respond? Verse 20 tells us we should respond like this. We should wait on the Lord. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield, the one I can hide behind. For our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. So how should we respond? We should wait on the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Is He your help? Is He your shield today? Or are you still trying to manage through life on your own without the Lord? Will you allow the truth of these verses this morning to make your heart glad in Him, says verse 21, because you trust in His holy name? Will you allow your heart to be glad in Him and because of who He is? You see, we need to stop this morning and apply verse 22. Look at verse 22. Lord, let your steadfast love be upon us, even as we hope in you. I love the, um, the, one, the version I've got here. Lord, may your steadfast love rest upon me. I need it to rest on me. It needs to come on me. And I need to find a fresh perspective, a fresh glimpse of who God is. I need to hope in the Lord. You see that human and that divine interaction again? Yes, God does all this for us if we put our trust in Him. Do you see the two-way street here? It's all of God, but it's all of us. Spurgeon in his excellent little, um, no, not a little, it's quite a big version of Treasures of David. It's uh, a comment on the Psalms. Spurgeon tells a story of a boy who was on a ship and it was a really stormy ship out in the Atlantic Real stormy weather, and the ship was out in the storm, and these people were really getting afraid because these, the storm is getting deeper and deeper, and the waves were getting higher and higher, and these passengers were getting frightened and at wit's end. And in the middle of them was this little boy running around, and he was bright as bubbles. He was helping everyone, and everyone was just getting seasick. He was trying to help out. And in the end, they stopped this little boy and they said to him, Sonny, just what they said those days. Sonny, why are you so happy when we are dying? And you know what the little boy's response was? My father's the captain of the ship. 
I know what He can do. And I know that He will take care of me. He's just a simple trust in His Father. He's the captain. He knows me. I know what He can do. And so you don't have to be afraid, He says. Well, you see, such confidence in this lifetime can also let you down. Because those of you who are fathers and mothers, you will know, we can let our children down, can't we? Even though they trust us. And there's no human being who can give a spiritual guarantee of safety. No one. And yet with God, there can be no misplacing of confidence or error of trust. You can put your trust in the Lord and know that God will come through for you, right through your lifetime, into everlasting life. God will come through. You can put your trust in Him. His purposes will prevail. His plans will come about. And no one who trusts in God is ever disappointed. And believe me, you won't be the first exception. You can trust the Lord too. So I want to ask you this morning as we close, what has you worried as you start off 2014? What are you worried about in your life? There will be something in you, I know, because I know myself. How how are you going to cope with that new job? Maybe your own spiritual stumblings worry you after a few sermons back. Well, here's the Bible dancer this morning, entrusted to the Lord. Now, hear me carefully. I didn't say trust. I'll get to that one. Entrust your worries to the Lord. What does that mean? Give it over. And then, let it go. Don't give it all over and hold on. Give it over to the Lord and let it go. Give it to the Lord. Entrust it to Him. All those worries, every single one of them. Why? Because you know Him from His Word, don't you? And He knows you. He sits on His throne. He can see your heart. He knows you. And He will take care of you. He's your Father, isn't He? And then thank Him that He made you as your Creator. Thank, thank Him that He loves you with everlasting love. It's love that never stops. Unlike our love, which gets grumpy sometimes. He loves you with love which is everlasting. And He will rule or govern your life. It's not a negative thing. And ask Him to help you to trust Him. To give you what you need. And to enable you, and enablement can only come from God, He will enable you to rejoice with shouts, even when you don't feel like it. He will enable you to rejoice, to praise Him with shouts, whatever might be in your day, whatever this year might have for you. Because God can do it, you see. Alexander McLaren said it like this. Listen to this quote. He said, hands lifted empty to heaven in longing trust will never drop back and hang listless without a blessing in their grasp. I'll repeat that. Hands lifted empty to heaven. You can't bring anything to the Lord. Lord, I come to you alone with nothing in my hands I come. In longing trust will never drop back and hang listless because prayers haven't been answered. They will always have a blessing in their grasp. We need to learn to identify those blessings. 
And so verse 22, I want to end with. May your unfailing love rest on us, O Lord, as a church and as individuals here, even as we put our hope in you. And so we stand boldly before the Lord today. And what started as a great shout before the Lord now ends quietly in a simple prayer of trust. Lord, we trust you this year. We give ourselves over to you. We entrust ourselves to you. Do with us what you may. But I know you will be with me whatever might come my way. Whether it's ongoing life or death and then life, you will be with me, Lord. I trust you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we need to hear words like this because when we look around us, we see another year and it might hold all kinds of things which terrify us. Fear of the unknown. But Lord, we know that you are the known God. You have identified yourself and not only have you created everything that we can see, but you created us. And as our Creator, you love us with everlasting love. And so, Lord, help us to shout great shouts of joy to you because we rejoice in our God, the everlasting and almighty sovereign God who knows us, who knows your, our, your plans for us. And Lord, help us to trust in you and whatever you have for us because we know we are in the hands of our loving Father. Lord, we trust you. Come what may. You are God and you do not change. Be praised even as we praise you. Amen.